All right, guys. Well, it's good to be back with you again. I'm going to go ahead and, and make just a, just a small little announcement before we get started. I've been talking uh, really with Brother John even back before he got sick. Well, we'd kind of planned to do this, and, and then he got sick, and nothing came, about, uh, came from it. Uh, I'm going to be starting a Sunday school class here in the next few weeks. I'll get you guys some more details on that, but I'm very happy to be taking on another role around here. We're going to get a, try to get a class started, and I'll let you guys know the details as they come along, but I just wanted to announce that to you. Um, we're going to be addressing something today that uh, we haven't talked about so far, at least not with me. I'm sure Brother John's talked to you about it a lot, but something that I think every Christian needs to understand. This is something that we need to talk about a little bit. We're going to be talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And why that's important, why the scripture talks about it, and what the Bible has to say about the issue. Uh, so why does it matter so much that, uh, though right now Jesus has returned to the Father, someday he is going to come back for his people and his kingdom. We're going to go ahead and, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 9 to 11. And if you would, if you can, stand with me in honor of reading God's word. And I know that uh, this is most of the passage that Brother Bob talked about Sunday that was not planned. This was in my notes before Sunday. I don't know how that happened, but uh, we just kind of landed on the same passage, I guess. But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated. All right, guys, so we're going to be talking about Christ's return. In this first passage, I just want to just kind of basically address the fact that Christ is returning, that it has indeed been promised to us in the word that Christ is coming back. He, he is not going to permanently be separated from us in any bodily way or anything like that. Uh, in this passage, they stress over and over again, uh, you'll see while they watched, you'll see things like received from their sight or while they looked steadfastly. And why that's important in establishing the fact that Christ is coming back is we see the fact that Jesus has ascended into heaven. right? That Jesus has gone back to be in the presence of the Father. It's not something that happened uh, in the middle of the night with nobody watching. It's not something that happened in the blink of an eye. Or, this is an actual event that took place that the apostles witnessed. Jesus has been received back into the glory that he had with the Father before he came to the world. While this happens in this passage, we see two men in white apparel. There are almost certainly angels. That's how angels are described in other parts of the Bible. And they deliver to them a very important message. So Jesus has raised from the dead. He's ascended to the Father. And these angels have come and they say, Why do you gaze into heaven? The disciples, they're probably shocked. They're probably confused. They might be a little bit scared. But they're given a message of hope by these angels. Uh, the sadness that they would feel from being separated from Christ was avoided by telling them that Jesus Christ had left, and as he had left, so he would return. 
that message of hope that they were given was that Christ is going to come back. That's something that we still have to understand today. You should know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ is returning for his people and his kingdom. And not only will he come back, he's going to come back in the same way that he left. Scripture in several places says that he will come with power and great glory. In another place it says that he will come on the clouds of heaven. And God has sent his messengers, the angels, to the apostles to assure them of this reality. Just as Jesus ascending, going up to his father was a real historical event, just as they really saw it, just as this really took place in front of their eyes, Jesus would return in the exact same kind of event. He is going to come back for his people. And when we go into looking at a little bit of what does that entail, what is it like, when is it going to happen, uh, we're going to start with the detail of when. When is Christ going to return to us? So if you will, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 36. Matthew 24, 36. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So, like I said, the first question that probably arises when we start talking about Christ returning is when. Right? When is this going to happen? When is Jesus going to return? Uh, and uh, if Jesus is returning, how, how long are we waiting We've been waiting for 2,000 years. How long is this going to go on exactly? Jesus tells us in this passage more than once that of the day and the hour of his return, no one knows. And you just have to take my word on this. That absolutely needs to be repeated. Of the day and hour of Jesus' return, no one knows. If they tell you that they know whoever they may be, they are lying to you. Jesus has told us that no one knows when he is coming back. That is a very important point. And I'm not saying that just because we don't know the exact time, that doesn't mean that we have absolutely no idea that there's no indicators in Scripture. Uh, the Bible at different points points to various signs. It tells us that certain things have to happen before Christ comes back. For example, that the gospel be preached throughout the world. Uh, we have a little bit of information. There's a little bit. But there is no date. There is no, you know, October 29th, 2034, Jesus is going to be back. We don't have that kind of information. He goes on, he further explains that by uh, the analogy to the flood. Just like the days of Noah when the flood came, right, suddenly, unexpectedly, when they were carrying on with all the normal affairs of life, going about their day-to-day -day business, 
And there's nothing sinful about the activities that he lists. Things like marrying and being given in marriage. But you do kind of get the idea that the people that were overcome by the flood were a little bit uh, absorbed by these things, right? They weren't watching the way that they should be. They were taken up with the affairs of this life and this world. We hear about uh, men being in the field or women at the mill and suddenly one is taken, the other is left. And this gives us, I think, our first major application. We are to be watching and waiting for the return of Christ. What is important about the when is that we don't know when. And as a result of that, we are to be watching. We are to be expectantly hoping for the return of Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus comes quickly. It tells us that he comes unexpectedly. But it's not for us to know the exact times. It's not for us to know the exact seasons. It's for us to watch and wait patiently for his return. And uh, on the next issue, we're going to have to, I mean, really get your Bible ready. We're going to have to go a very long way from where we are right now. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 45. Matthew 24, 45. We're going to read to verses 51. So again, this is still Jesus speaking. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." So we, we know that we're to be watching. We need to be prepared. How do we do that? What are we to be doing in the meantime before Christ returns? Uh, Jesus lays out a parable here of a, a faithful servant and a wicked servant. He tells us that uh, and these servants are, are representative of, of us, right? of Jesus' disciples, those that are trying to follow him, that while his master is gone, has been given a job. In the parable here, the job is to rule over his house, to give them food. And it says, blessed is he when the master comes and finds him doing what he's supposed to be doing. Doing what he was left to do, even though the master wasn't there with him. He says he'll be rewarded, right? He's going to be promoted, given more. And on the other side of that, we have the wicked servant. We have the one that says in his heart that my master's delayed. He's not coming. He convinces himself that he can do these evil, wicked actions with no consequences. And we see the result of that is he goes about beating other servants. We see that he prefers the company of, of sinners, not to witness to them, but to partake of their sinning. He's spending none of his time doing what he's actually been left to do, and he's told that the master is eventually going to return. The second major application that we need to see today is that those abusing the fact that Christ is not here receive unexpected and severe judgment. Judgment is real. Judgment is a biblical truth. He returns when he isn't his, uh, expected, and it says that he will cut him in two. Now, this is a, this is a parable. It's not literal, obviously, but, but, I mean, you need to understand that's very strong language. This is Jesus saying when he returns, there is going to be severe judgment. 
It says that he is going to be appointed a place with the hypocrites. Well, why is that such a big deal? He just spent the entirety of Matthew 23 going on and on and on about the hypocrites. And he's saying this servant is just like them. If you want to know what Jesus thinks about hypocrites, you just go read Matthew 23. This is serious language, serious words that he's using. The Bible tells us over and over again that you can call Jesus Lord with your mouth and not really mean it. Right? You can pretend to serve him. You can pretend to be born again. You can say the right words. You can go to the right places, but you cannot fool him. And the wicked servant proved that he was no real servant of Christ by his actions. We all want to hear him say when he comes, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's not going to say that to everyone. We do not want to hear, I never knew you, depart from me. And there are going to be some that he says that too. In the meantime, we should share the gospel. We should encourage each other. We should press each other on to good works, good deeds, to love for our man and for God. We should spend this time profitably doing the things that Christ has actually left for us to do. If you will, we're going to go ahead and turn to our next passage down, the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 14. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 4. So Jesus speaking again says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. So the kind of the, the bad thing that they have to address, at least at first, about the return of Jesus is that Jesus has to leave in the first place. Right? I mean, nobody wants that. The disciples certainly don't want that. They want Christ to remain with them. But Christ gives them so much comfort to overcome that. He tells us in another place in the Gospels that he will be with us to the end of the age, that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is in our midst. He says that he will send us another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the solution to fear or worry about his absence is faith in him and the Father, to have full trust, full confidence in him, that he knows what is best for us. If what was best was for him to remain, he would have remained. We can absolutely trust that him going back to the Father was the best thing, that we trust him and we trust him to return in the same way. He tells us that in his Father's house, that's heaven, right, where God is, there are many mansions. He tells us that it's it's fully sufficient to hold everybody it needs to hold. There There are many mansions. There's enough room for Jesus. There's enough room for his disciples. And there's enough room for me and you too. Heaven's not getting full up, okay? And I know that that probably sounds like something that shouldn't have to be said, but it does because there are certain groups that teaches that heaven will get full eventually. There's only so many places. But there are many mansions. There is plenty of room to accommodate all of us. He has to go to the Father, and Scripture tells us over and over again some of the things that he's going to do while he's there. It tells us that he intercedes for us. Intercedes is just a, a big fancy word that basically means pray. Did you know that Jesus prays for you? 
Jesus prays for the other believers in this congregation, in Salem, Arkansas, in this church. Jesus prays for you before the Father. And that because of that, we don't have to fall into condemnation. It says that he is able to save to the uttermost. That means absolutely, totally, because he always lives to make intercession for us. He is always praying for us. It says in the Bible that he is in the presence of God for us. That he is seated at the Father's right hand with all angels, authority, and powers made subject to him. We talked about that a little bit last week. He gives us access to God and a way to God. And he says that we will know the way. And a lot of ways that might raise the question, how are we going to know the way? That's exactly what Thomas asks him right after this. Well, if you'll look at verse 6, he tells you exactly how you're going to know the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. We're going to go ahead and look at our next passage in 1 Thessalonians. If you will turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. So this is now the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then though we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So he starts out here uh, by telling us that he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Uh, ignorant of what? Ignorant of those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, he says. Right? We're talking about believers that have died. He doesn't want us ignorant because he doesn't want us, he tells us, sorrowing as unbelievers who have no hope. Right? Ephesians 2 tells us that those who are separated from God are hopeless. There is no future to look forward to. There's no Christ returning. There's no eternal life. There's no family of God. Hopeless. It's a situation with nothing to look to ultimately. But we, as believers, believe in the resurrection of Christ. And you see that in verse 14, that Jesus rose from the grave. And that verse 14 says, if Jesus rose, that God will bring us who sleep in Jesus as well. When we are grieving, we can grieve, not just with sorrow, but also with hope. That's a wonderful Bible truth. That's something that we should all know. But verse 16 is really what starts the discussion about uh, what we're speaking of today. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of what this is going to be like uh, when Christ returns, when Christ comes back and, and takes his people. They're going to, uh, the event will be announced, it says, with the voice of an archangel. We'll have the trumpet of God sounding, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then both the dead and the living, and that's important in the context, are caught up to be with him. We are going to be together with Christ in his glory. We will always be with him, and that we are to comfort one another with these words. 
All of those, including those of us who are passed on, will be with the Lord. That is something that we can always take comfort in, we can always take hope in. And that there is no reason for us to sorrow as the world does. Christ is going to return. We are all going to be with him. And finally, I want to look at one more passage in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 to 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. Where he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And verse 4 is the main verse in this passage, right? So, Peter is here addressing the elders, that's just pastors, right, church leaders. Uh, and he tells them in verse 4 that if they do what he's laid out in the previous verses, that they are going to receive a crown of glory when Christ appears. So I want to talk for just a minute about what exactly Christ is going to do when he returns. Now, and in this passage, the faithful, those who are following Christ, receive a crown. Uh, that, that's an award. There are other crowns in Scripture, right? It's not just... Uh, there's the crown of joy, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness. Right? There are all these crowns that are talked about in Scripture. And Christ gives those to us when He appears. Elsewhere, we're told in Scripture that He appears for salvation. While He saved us from the guilt of sin, someday He's going to save us from the very presence of sin. We're told that He is going to bring to light hidden things and that He is going to judge everyone something that Christ does when He returns. And in Acts 3, we see that heaven is to receive Christ until the restoration of all things. What that means is when Christ returns, evil is going to be defeated. Everything is going to be set right. Not just people, not just me and you. Everything is going to be set right. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. All of the order of everything is going to be set the way that it should be. And I want to review a little bit with you uh, just kind of go back and talk again about some of the, the important high points of why it matters so much that Christ is returning for us. That why that is a great truth that every believer should strive to better understand. And that's not only is it clearly taught biblical truth, it's also important for how we live right now. What you believe will affect how you live. We don't know exactly when, Christ will return. We know he says he's coming soon, but we also know right with the Lord a thousand years is as a single day. We don't know the exact date. It's not something we should argue about. It's not something we should speculate about. It's not something we should divide over, for example. What we should do is we should live our lives in patient expectation of his return. Right? We should strive to be that faithful servant that we heard about earlier who is rewarded at his coming. We should do everything we can to avoid being the wicked servant who has appointed his place with the hypocrites. Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. He has opened up the way to the Father and he is able to totally save us because he is always 
interceding for us. He is in the very presence of God for us. Someday he is going to return. He is going to come for those who are his that are alive or that have died. And his return should motivate us to live rightly, to avoid that judgment, to give us peace and hope when we have trouble or grief. His return should affect everything about your life. Someday Christ is going to return, and I pray that when he does, you are ready. I pray that you have turned from your sin and that you have turned to him, that you have put your faith in the only begotten Son of God, the King of kings who loved us and gave himself for us. And as always, guys, if you, if you have any questions along those lines, I, I understand that this is Wednesday night. People can get saved on Wednesday night too. If you ever have any questions, we're always here. I'll always be here. Uh, the deacons will always be here. Brother John will be here soon enough. Right? Uh, we'll be here for you. Just know that we're here if you ever need anybody to, to pray for you, answer any questions that you have. All right, guys, that's all I've got for you this week. If you will stand with me, we're going to pray out.